0: I'm a narrow cat, no wide flows. African descent, that's why I got the wide nose. With my kinky hair and black skin, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And that's in the image of a God that is beautiful and whose infinite world is immutable.
1: Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of HBCU, where we are healing brown communities unconditionally. You're here with your host, Akima. You can follow me at Princess Akima on all social media platforms.
0: Peace and love, family. This is Mikhail Halim. You can reach me on Facebook and Instagram at Mikhail Halim Wellness.
1: They didn't get you on TikTok yet, Mikhail?
0: You see, the way my anti millennial is set up, <laughs> we're going to keep that on pause.
1: Mikhail doesn't realize that we actually, by, by this is a technicality, ah. make a mistake, we're technically millennials, um, even though for years I denied it. Can't stand it. Anyhow, listen, um, thank you guys so much who have been checking out the um, live recordings Mikhail and I have been doing, who've been listening to the podcast. Um, I am going to try my best to get Mikhail on Clubhouse so we can talk with you folks live. For those of you all who don't do the video, who like to just listen to audio, maybe we'll jump on Clubhouse, do a few things. But um, tonight we are going to touch on, I think this will be our first that we're doing, and we're going to do a... Synopsis: um, Have a dialogue around a movie that was released. Um, this was it this year or the end of last. It was
0: year? Released. That's a good question.
1: That is a good question. While bringing that information up, we're actually going to talk about a movie that. Um, if you listen, this is one of those. What do they say? Um, spoiler alert. So, spoiler alert. If you haven't seen the movie American Skin starring Nate Parker, Macaul and I are going to be talking through not just the movie, this is not a summary, a summation of the movie, but we're going to be talking through a lot of the elements that they touched in the movie. Um, We know Nate Parker, um, he's talked vocally um, about how he felt recording this particular film. So we're just going to dig into some of the things. Did you grab that year, Mikhail?
0: Yes, ma'am. That was 2019.
1: Hey, how about that? And I just saw it for the first time, and then I ended up, we've watched it several times, I'll say between Mikhail and I. We have been in ingesting this and really trying to break it down. Um, For you all who haven't seen it, like, yeah, there's a a couple spoiler alerts. Wanna let you know the movie's not based on a true story. Um, However, a lot of the elements in the movie, they are true and we know that people have been dealing with a lot of the things that his character and others in the movie um, went through. Before we jump into American Skin, I just really wanna give some credence to Nate Parker. Um, For you all who don't know him as an actor, he is phenomenal. Some of the other movies, aside from American Skin, where I know he's been very, um, where he's been very vocal in his stance towards um, the treatment of, you know, Black and brown people and hence our HBCU podcast. He's been in movies such as Birth of a Nation. Hello, somebody. Um, The Great Debaters, Red Tails. Even earlier on in his career, he was in a movie called Pride with... um, I want to say Terrence Howard, and if you haven't seen Pride, that was a phenomenal movie as well. I actually wanted to give him a couple of kudos, too, for his role that he played in the movie Beyond the Lights, because honestly, to see a black male character protecting a black female character is just not something that we always see depicted in real life or on film and so he did a phenomenal job in beyond the lights as well and i think that that speaks to the sorts of movies that um he's willing to take you ever see certain actors and you're like man they're in a certain caliber and a certain quality movie thanks nate parker for taking the stance and the type of roles that you take
0: indeed and um transitioning into American skin. Well, first, let me just touch on some of the work that he has done as well, because I have been personally um, impacted in a constructive way by the work and uh, the contributions to what I guess we would call Black culture that Nate Parker has decided um, intentionally and acutely to touch on. Um, I, I guess my first encounter with Nate was... Um, with Denzel, you just said it, the great debaters. Yes. And you just mentioned, again, protecting of women, and I just remember his character in that movie. I love how, speak character, no pun intended, um the growth and development. It always seems like everything that Nate Parker has, there is a growth and development process of those characters, and there's a transition of those characters as well. And we all know the most recent, which was um, a little more controversial, um, but was The Birth of the Nation, mm. and um, which was the Nat Turner story. For those mm. of you all, I would encourage everybody to go check that out. Um, just bringing Nat Turner to life, you know, considering that story took place so long ago. Now, um, going into American Skin, I just want you all to know that I wanted to, well, Akeem and I wanted to do this particular episode, uh, due diligence in terms of staying in the lane, Um, the artistic lane, even the psychological lane, because we are going to implement our opinion, all those kind of things. However, um, I went as far as listening to an interview that Nate Parker did on The Breakfast Club. And I also encourage everyone to go check that out because the interview is strictly about um, this movie in particular. And he goes into just what he was thinking when he was developing the characters, uh, when he was writing the script. So on and so forth.
1: And Mikhail, I want to hear all about that. So I'm going to try to give a quick overview for those of you all who haven't seen the movie. And so that um, what Mikhail's getting ready to share about the um, interview on the on the Breakfast Club. Um, and shout out to the Breakfast Club for having this interview and a couple of wonderful other Absolutely. Ones do. Well done. But, um, well done, uh, fam. But definitely. For you all haven't seen it so we know the scenario and the situation of the tension between those in black and brown communities and in law enforcement so in the movie nate parker is in the car um, or his character is in the car with his son and he's pulled over by two uh, white police officers and throughout the course of the exchange with the officers the son is recording the officers which he legally has the right to do he legally feels that he has the right to do And there is this quick um, escalation from the pullover to the police step out of the car to the son videotaping the officers, to the officers not liking that, to the father pleading with the son to put the phone away, the officers drawing their guns and everything that can happen in a split second. The son is shot and killed during that exchange. And so we see that on the film. And unfortunately, we see that also happening in real life. And I just wanted to kind of set that scene because everything else in the movie draws from that. And then, please, McCall, can you share some of the, the elements that he shared as an actor preparing for a role and even intense scenes like that?
0: Well, Nate Parker, his I don't want to say historically. I mean, he is who he is. He comes and approaches even developing this this concept for American skin as an African-American male who has who spent all of his life Uh, practically in the United States of America um, considering the history um, that we have with law enforcement. And so the history of policing is actually one of the, the major points that he touches on and that he wanted to break down because, you know, when you talk about police brutality, it's a very wide scope of a subject to kind of break down. And, um, you know, you've heard all kinds of terms recently, uh, defund the police, um, you know, producing justice in certain capacities for black and brown communities. What does that look like? Um, you know, what kind of professionals should show up to the scene of potential? You know, I, I've got to even be careful how I even say crimes, because crimes are not even a lot of times justified or, uh, you know, because I can go into stop and frisk. You know, it's like, you know, what does that even mean? So Nate really wanted to go into the details of exactly what the experience is. Um, now, this is a little bit more of my opinion, because now he did decide to to cast one himself as a character in the movie, as well as an African-American male son, um, who is the one who ultimately ends up uh, being executed by law enforcement. Now, um, going back to the sun, you mentioned uh, the sun and I don't want to I don't want to spoil too much of this.
1: You know, it's really hard to to not. That's why I gave the spoiler alert. So some of the things that we're going to share. Let's talk about the sun a little bit. And I'm going to come back to the scene in the movie where the sun actually gets killed. So the sun attends a school that's predominantly white. So one of the things they go through in the movie is how. Um, Nate Parker's character was willing to take a janitorial job, although he was learned, he was a veteran, all these things. He took a job as a janitor at a school so that his son could attend a certain school. And at that school, they learned certain laws. And one of those laws, which what can happen in the workplace, or in the workplace, excuse me, what can happen when you're interfacing with the police, what the rules are, what the laws are, and the son, innocently enough, thought that those were universal, that they were applicable to everyone. And so when presented with the opportunity, to he say, hey, if you're pulled over, as long as you're obeying what the officer is saying, you can step out of the car. The intensity of that scene is really what I want to get to, which is he's the son is doing what he thinks that he has the legal right to do. The father, being older and being more mature, knowing how these things can go is hoping that his son will put the phone away because that's what the officers want whether it was the right thing for the father to say whether it was the right thing for the son to do this wasn't really a question of right or wrong and then the officers watching a young boy with his phone out their response is to pull out their guns and to draw their guns at this child and so for me and obviously you all um listen to the podcast long enough know that we do a um that I run a holistic health practice. And all I could think about watching that scene was the fight or flight response in the body and everything working up in the father, everything working up in those officers. And truth be told, the only person being... Probably the comments in the scene was the child because he just had his phone out recording as he's unlocking his door, as he's listening to the commands of the officer. But any of you all who know, when we get into those fight or flight responses, it is almost impossible to make a rational decision. And I'm not making excuses for the fictitious officer in the movie or for real officers in real life who are quick to draw their guns. What I do know to be true is that when we're in those moments and everything's moving quick and all that blood is rushing and your heart is going and your mind is racing and your central nervous system is just worked up, it's almost like this, it's an almost anticipated end. Me watching that scene, you already knew, even though I didn't know the premise of American Skin when I first put it on, um, but I wasn't surprised by that scene.
0: And you know, you mentioned how hard and difficult it is once you reach that elevated state of fight or flight. To make a logical decision. And so, you know, on this podcast, you all, we want to give you all tools to walk away with, not just uh this isn't us just sitting around talking about something just for the sake of having conversation. Now, there is a book that I encourage everyone listening to this um to either investigate, I'm not saying purchase it, but um it is written by a gentleman who I've mentioned on this show before, and I was actually talking to Akima in, in pre-pro, um, Fuller Jr. Neely Fuller Jr. has written a text called the United Compensatory Code System Concept. The United Compensatory Code System Concept. And I'm bringing that up because this code book is a workbook and a textbook and a guide for victims of racism and white supremacy. And it goes into different scenarios. Um, I I just, well, the one that we're talking about right now is policing which is actually in the book and now came a man that scene you know the son you just talked about the temperament of the son the father and the officers all of this stuff i mean it was almost overwhelming all of these different personalities different energies and frequencies going on at the same time and like you said you had the son who was calm and also a component to that was that he did. That young man knew his rights. Now, Neely Fuller has a rule written in the United Compensatory Code System concept that is called the three Fs, the number three Uh-oh. and the letter F, okay, as in what? Frank. Oh,
1: as in, okay.
0: I just heard F. Uh, it- <laughs> We're going to keep it clean tonight. <laughs> um, but the three Fs, I think um, they are very profound. The first F is don't fuss. Don't fuss, like in an argument. And these are rules for victims specifically, for victims of racism and white supremacy, and things to do when they encounter law enforcement or race soldiers, as they are referred to in that textbook. You don't fuss, you do not fight, and you do not flee, meaning you do not argue or engage in a confrontation verbally with the officers. You do not fight. You do not physically put your hands or even present yourself as if that you are going to be some sort of physical threat to the police officers. And lastly, you do not flee, meaning you do not decide, well, you know, as soon as the officer turns his head, I'm about to take off for the bushes. Now, many people will say, well, McCown, you can't tell somebody, you know, how to make that split second decision. It's not about how we feel. And the reason that nearly fully even brought that up Nate Parker in the movie has a scene where he's talking to his son about this exact uh, situation here, what to do when they encounter the police. And he's emphatic about letting his son know the most important thing for you to do is to make it home. Yeah. And I, Akeem, have struggled with that as an African-American man because I have not encountered a situation where I have been more willing to lean towards the three Fs versus the alternative, because, you know, you're immediately angry. You're immediately confrontational. Some of the times, you know, it's many times it's not justified why we've even encountered the police and, and end up cornered in some kind of capacity. But I believe that the three Fs, um, everyone doesn't agree with it. Everyone doesn't agree with it. But at the same time, the truth of the statement is that we must figure out a way to deescalate. That's the word I'm looking for y'all. I took all that time to figure out the word deescalate. It's a deescalation tactic. And um, Akeem, I'm curious as a woman of color, what is that kind of situation? Not saying that you've specifically been pulled over by the police, but you know, the three- Okay, now how would that conceptually, or let me back up, what is that even like? You know, what kind of feelings do do women go through when they encounter police officers?
1: I appreciate that you're, I mean, obviously our listeners know I'm a woman, um, but I, I appreciate that you're asking that question because I think about the, um, must, feminizing, demasculating of black men and how difficult just to have one more scenario. So as a woman, I'm looking at it differently. You know, I'll share with our listeners, you know, I have been pulled over by the police. Um, and it was interesting because many years ago, I used to work in health and human services and I was speeding. Yep. I was breaking the law. you all, And I was speeding down the highway to get to one of my programs that I oversaw because I had a staff member who was working on one to eight ratio. Any of y'all who worked in health and human services can imagine anything above a one to three ratio, you're putting your team member in danger. And I had a team member walk off the job and I had to get down to the location. So in the effort of doing that, I was speeding. I got pulled over by a state trooper. I told him where I was going because we were calling them out to our programs all the time. And though he understood it, um, I still got a ticket. Um, and just in the name of just beginning, I forgot about the ticket. So this forgotten ticket, and I'm just sharing this story because all I'm taking my responsibility in this, but also what happened was I got pulled over a second time. So forgetting about to pay that ticket, got no reminder in the mail to pay it. And this is before all the technology and such. I um got pulled over on the Eastern Shore. Um, So Woof, I lived in the it. DMV area and I was across the bridge in um not too far from like the Queenstown outlets for you all who are local. Y'all know what I'm talking about. So kind of up that away. And I got pulled over and the officer, you know, me, I'm, I don't have any warrants. I've never been to jail. I'm not fleeing the police. I reach and I get my um, license and registration. I pull the window down before he comes because it was dark. I was tired. I wanted to get back across the Bay Bridge and get home, handed it to him. He walked away. He came back to the car window and told me to step out of the car. It is dark. This is a male officer. I can't see nothing in front of me, behind me. You all who don't know the Eastern Shore, it was you can't see nothing but field. And so I'm, I'm terrified, Mikhail. I mean, I am literally terrified. And all I could think was, just like, Lord, don't let nothing happen to me. You're thinking that is, is he about to slam my head on this trunk? Is he about to assault me? You know what I mean? Like I literally have no idea what's getting ready to happen during this exchange. And so we're standing outside of my car. Why we had to stand outside of my car to have this conversation, still to this day baffles me. He said, did you know that your license has been suspended as have, as have your tags? I said, uh, no. And of course, I'm thinking this is a misidentity. He's lying. Like, just all the things. I said, no, I didn't. And not knowing what he was going to do next, I'm thinking I'm going to get arrested. I started to cry. And I didn't cry because like, okay, let me fabricate some tears because- Truth be told the cops in this particular county in maryland and if you all know anything about racism in maryland they didn't care about my black woman tears as they care about other women's tears but i digress and uh, i cried and he asked me why i was crying i said well i've never had an officer ask me to step out of my car i've never been to jail and you're telling me that i could be arrested for this this is not my life and there was like this whole assumption that like i just i know this like oh yeah step out of your car sit in the back of a police cruiser i have never done these things. So he tells me, well, I'm gonna let you go, but you're gonna have to get this rectified. And I sat in my car after he let me go for about 20, 25 minutes. I got my husband on the phone, but I just sat in my car. So in that whole situation and scenario, my own fears caused me to be able to calm down. It wasn't even like, you know, now because I'm older, I could be more strategic. I could probably put those three F's into um into play because I'm again that's a that is a really mature stance. And as a younger, immature woman, I wouldn't have been thinking about that. The only thing that kept me aside from God's grace was my own fear. And I literally I, he this individual did not go. Because when I think he had me step out of the car, it was to then take me to, to arrest me. Like, it was a whole situation. Now, I want all my listeners to know that your girl, the next day... Well, first of all, that night, I must have drove, like, 30 miles per hour across the Bay Bridge. I mean, if y'all know, it's like 60. I drove so super slow, got myself home. The next day, I was at the um, MBA and got everything taken care of. It was really just because of this ticket, this unpaid ticket, got all of my stuff suspended. So, I don't know. I I... I I think that that is a good stance to consider, Mikhail. And I'm glad that we're giving tools to our listeners. But I also know the level of maturity and the level of restraint that it takes. And so thank you guys for indulging my story and my experience with the police. But coming back to the movie, like his father was there advocating for him. His father was calm. His father was mature. And although it's a fictitious movie, we unfortunately know that we've seen this scenario play out differently in our reality. So I don't know what the difference maker becomes, you know, when you actually are calm and relaxed and, you know what I mean? It's yeah. So I don't know Not I don't know, but I honestly, I don't know because it, it plays differently depending upon who stops you and who's engaged in the, um in, in the exchange, wanting to make a slight, um, shift here, because there were so many beautiful points in the um, movie. So, Makah, I want to kick a question over to you, which is, so kind of moving past that, his son got killed, the officer got off, the officer's back doing his officer job, right? No, no accountability, so for y'all who don't know, like nothing happened to the officer, the son is dead, and the mother and father, and the mother is in the picture, so this is not even a situation of just like, you know, everyone was around, My question for you is, can the justice system actually provide justice?
0: That is actually where I was going with what you just said, because you don't know. I cannot sit here and say yes or no definitively. And so if there is pushback on the three Fs, and I don't mean pushback like a rebellious, so I don't believe in that type of thing. But logically, logistically, if I do not fuss and I keep my mouth closed, I keep my hands. And this is what I do, y'all. Just like. And, you know, I've taught my son. I've got a 16 year old. You know, I keep my hands at 10 and 2. And for those of you all uh, who don't know what that means. This is. My right hand is literally in the upper. If you if I had to put a compass on the steering wheel the northeast corner (laughs) at two o'clock because ten and two refers to the clock you know a clock is is round so imagine your right hand being at the at the two position two o'clock position and your left hand is at the ten o'clock position um no one really drives like that you know what i mean like i don't drive you know when you're like 16 17 18 19 20 um but you got to get your driver's license they tell you to keep your hands at ten and two you're taking your tests Don't take your hands off 10 and 2, you're going to fail the test. But of course, you know, once you become a seasoned driver, you know, you get comfortable driving. You
1: drive with your knees, right?
0: (laughs) But it's like, you know, why all of a sudden, when I get pulled over by the police, I got a 10 and 2, and all of a sudden, these rules come out. Because now, 10 and 2, the three Fs. Matter of fact, we can just make up some rules while we're sitting there on the show. Mm -hmm. But to answer your question, Kima, no, I cannot guarantee that justice will prevail just because I make the mature decision. I like how you use that term because I don't believe that when we have a mature system or that all the individuals who decide that they want to don a a badge and a gun, you know, are are socially mature people or even approach that profession um, with the intent of producing justice. And we could go into the history of the police. We're not going to do that on this show. Um, Well, we will
1: deal with that on the HBCU podcast. What McCallum is meaning on tonight's show, we want to kind of stick in the vein of the American skin, but I definitely talk about the history. Because I think that that gets into the ability or the inability is really what I think we're leaning towards of something to be able to produce what it says it can produce. And don't think an injustice system can produce justice and that un- you know, grounded individuals can stay grounded. And I, oh gosh, you know, you all, this may be one of those episodes where we're just going to talk a little bit more. But the idea um, you mentioned earlier, of like who should be called out in certain situations, you know, quote unquote crimes. And it's like, and I've heard people say this, you know, where the police get called out for every situation, you know, someone break into a store, call the police, somebody shooting at the neighborhood, call the police someone's having a mental health breakdown, call the police. Uh, A woman who couldn't feed her kids is trying to figure out whether to like drown them all in the tub or I don't know, get denied, you know, unemployment, getting denied um, food stamps, call the police. It's like, hmm, that's a faulty system. So I, I, I like you, I don't believe that the system can provide justice and that doesn't take any away for many of our listeners who may be um working in some facet. you know you all who are lawyers um I, I do know individuals who are um you know officers and who are trying their best for that we're talking about the system so do not be offended as an individual you know the system has its faultiness and we have to be um open to talking about that and i think that that's going to be important, especially with what with the material that we're dealing with here in our podcast, in terms of healing, we have to not look to an injustice system to administer justice. So,
0: absolutely. Um, I just wanted to plug two things real quick. One, I wanted to again, staying in the lane of where Nate Parker's mind was psychologically developing this when he was on the Breakfast Club. I wrote down two quotes. One of them that's relevant to what we're saying with justice. Um, He said, the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. And even me saying that right now live here, I'm thinking about the three Fs. And does that even apply to actually the concept of producing justice? And I want to drop a personal reference, if I may, um, because Hakima brought up, mental health, which actually, I don't want to say it goes as far as triggers me, um, but it, it brings up it brings up a touchy subject for me uh, because a friend of mine, and I wanted to make sure that his name is mentioned mm-hmm. um, directly on this podcast, Robert White. Robert White is a gentleman who I grew up with. He was actually a friend of my older brother's um, who grew up in Montgomery County, Maryland, who was actually executed by the Montgomery County the Police Department. And that was the summer of 2018, I believe, June of 2018. Um, and without going into too much detail, uh, Robert was unarmed. Um, Robert was walking through a neighborhood that um, he was very familiar with. He grew up in this community his entire life. And um, these things happen, you know, and it's just like, you know, I'm sitting here, forgive me, you all, for almost combing through my thoughts while I'm talking. You're okay. What do you do? And, uh, you know, not even to go back and harp on that, but what do you do when, I guess, Akeem, I'm, I clearly, I can't put myself where Robert was in that moment before he was executed. But just listening to you and your story go through those wide ranges of emotions not knowing because the only reason because you don't know that's why your emotions are all over the place they're trying to field how you should feel and so to speak in that kind of a situation now um military if we could let's just talk about it let's talk about the military real quick there was another component to this movie uh nate parker was a veteran he was a military veteran and um you know it came up what what kind of spin for you did that put on how the film unfolded?
1: So there's a few things. Um, I just want to be really clear for those of you all who've never heard me share about this um, and my family's background. But no one in my family is in the military. You know, my I'm first generation born in this country. They did not come over here to join the U.S. military. Like they, they just didn't. And they didn't teach us to do that. And again, if you're a veteran, if you're an active duty service member, thank you for your service. But I'm just telling you, our family, that's just not a thing. So to see that um, play, that's like, oh, that's nice. That's that's cute. No one in my family is in the military. So that's the first thing I wanted to share. That's my individual the other components that I want to share is how it didn't matter <laughs> that he fought for his country. It, it didn't matter that he'd taken the two tours in Iraq and he'd been overseas. You know, all these, you know, things that we'll see in the media where it's cute and they're running through the airport and they see their families and it's so beautiful. Like, I don't know, would it have made a difference if he wore his fatigue or would it have made a difference if the bumper sticker said he veteran on the back? Mm-hmm. Does the veteran status trump the color of his skin? I'm just throwing questions out there. I don't necessarily have answers to that, right? I have assumptions on what I think, right? And if y'all know me enough, you know, I'm probably going to say it probably doesn't matter. So I have that that piece of it. And then two, for you all who um, have seen the movie, and again, all kinds of spoiler alerts, the reason why Nate, character, um, Nate Parker's character was actually working at the school, one, he couldn't afford to live in the neighborhood where the school was, which speaks to all the redlining, And how they have certain monies in certain neighborhoods. And that's a there's a couple of undertone things that they touch on in the movie, and that's just another one of them. So he had to become a janitor. And imagine a US veteran wasn't able to just go to a school and say, Hey, you know, this would be better for my son's future and for his education and for opportunities. Can my son go here? It was like you either had to live in the neighborhood or you had or you know, in the zone. And they do that to keep certain people in certain schools and people out of certain schools. Or you had to um, work there. And so he was humble. And that—that that is another component of the movie. This father, through his son's life, and even after his son's death, had such humility. And I can tell you, I really... And, but he was humble, but he also had something that he was trying to prove. But he didn't have to do it under the guise of this aggressive character type that black men get put into the one that make people want to cross the street or clutch their purse or make you just don't want your daughters near them and all that kind of foolishness. Like he was a man without having to be this like aggressor, but yet still very assertive. And I, I I mean, he captured all of it in the role and it was just so amazing. I know you asked me a veteran question, but like, yes, that, piece plays into it, and then the last thing is him and all his boys. So, if you, for those of y'all who've seen it, like everyone that he rolled with, that he was accomplishing the the way that they wanted to administer justice. And I'm trying not to give up the end of the movie. I'm trying my best not to. Is um they were all veterans, you know, and not one of them were able to. It didn't matter. It didn't matter to the to the courtroom. It didn't matter to the grand jury. It didn't matter to the officers, the, the DA. It, like, it mattered to no one. And so it's like, I'm not saying people shouldn't do it, right, you know? But it mattered to no one in this particular scenario. And I think that that's pretty heartbreaking to think that you've quote unquote done all these things for your country, but then you come back home and you hear that a lot, which is why, you know, we'll have like, you know, veterans from these wars past having to wait till they're in their 80s, 90s, daggone on their 100, getting their kudos, getting their credence for the sacrifices that they've made because they came back home to the same, you know, racist America that they left and that they were fighting for. So.
0: Oh, and, you man. know, I'm not going to leave you hanging on oh, like I never do, <laughs> never do. Um, but I was raised and I'm an African-American, you know, um, as far back as I can trace in my family genes and my mother, my African-American mother and African-American grandmother, we were actually raised and we were told and it was actually instructed that we never even consider entertaining enlisting in the military so i just wanted to make that clear and um we do not have ignorant parents um we do not have judgmental parents who look and other black folks and you know in other parts of the world and what they do and how they contribute to the safety and security of the nations that we all come from um, however there is deeply rooted tension and um, repair that has not been done to this day uh specifically Now, we're talking about American skin. I'm going to keep it there. With African Americans, um, what we have contributed to the maintenance and maintaining, what's interesting, because now i got to drop John Henry Clark in here. Dr. John Henry Clark said, you know, no group of African people within the African diaspora globally has fought with their oppressor harder to remain in their condition than the African American military soldier. And, you know, I had, to me, that one was a mic drop when he said it. But it's a
1: mic drop right now. What you mean?
0: I had to Can't pick the give mic. Them a second to. <laughs> right, exactly. Because I had to pick the mic back up and be like, yo, John Henry Clark, you need to say that again. Because I have to process, brother, what you just said. And, you know, we're talking about Muhammad Ali now. That's not the first time we, you know, Dr. John Henry Clark, he was a teacher. He was a professor and all this kind of thing. Everyone didn't take John Henry Clark. I'm sorry, excuse me, Dr. John Herrick Clark's class. But most of us, if not all of us, are familiar with Muhammad Ali. And you know, there was a a little stint in the middle of his career where he actually uh, was forced to serve prison time. And he had to actually step down. And listen to me, like he had power to step down. He was forced by a system that holds supreme power over people of color in the United States of America. And that man was forced to step down because he refused to go and fight the Viet Cong. And he is, I I encourage everyone, go look up his quotes. Listen to what that man said. I am not going across halfway across this world to execute people in the name of protecting a nation that will not protect me when I get back on home soil. And to me, that is 10 mic drops, 10 mic drops. And I believe that, um, you know, Nate Parker really did a profound job of bringing that to light, you know, for the, for the civilian, for the civilian, because we know people we have, I have uncles, my grandfather fought the war. Mm-hmm. We know we're not talking about boxers and, and entertainers and all this kind of thing. This is a common experience for African-Americans who enlist in the military and come home and receive that kind of treatment
1: absolutely so i guess y'all know how we feel about that um a couple other elements that we want to touch on um, as we're wrapping up today's podcast and again just really great job by everyone who had their hands on the film i know a lot of times we give credence to those who are in front of the camera but credence to those who are on the back end of things um film is super important right and pretty powerful and i i just really wanted to kind of delve into that um, and how they touched on a few um, components. So after the whole concept where the son um, did not get his, you know, justice in the court system, and we've already come to the realization that uh, unjust system can't provide justice. Nate Parker, all his boys that he served with, you know, all these years in the military, they take over, a um, not a precinct, but they they go to where the officers are and they think that they're going to reenact the courtroom to give the son the justice that he didn't get. And what do you see, McCollis, the purpose of taking over the precinct or that space? Do you see any purpose in that?
0: I'm going to go right to the horse's mouth on this one.
1: Yep.
0: On the Breakfast Club interview, Nate Parker said numerous times, numerous times he dropped this quote Subjugation leads to revolution subjugation leads to revolution and he brought it up twice if not three times because even on that platform everyone wanted to what do you mean by that and i believe and i do believe that an oppressed people should be clear with their intentions when they do something like that because in this particular case that is highly illegal activity
1: i just want to make sure for anyone who's like like me right like hey what is subjugation um and we are just this is a we haven't done any. Um, our friends over at Google, but it is the action of bringing someone or something under domination or control. And I quote: the colonial subjugation of a country by means of brute military force. So, for again, anyone who may have been listening, and you know, we're we, we we're educators um, here on the HBCU podcast, and so just wanted to drop a definition there.
0: Absolutely, and um, you know, the subjugation that Nate Parker is talking about that leads to that fight or flight feeling that came in the two of mentioning to, mm-hmm. you know, Dr. Martin Luther King, we even dropped this on, on a previous episode, you know, where he was saying that the riot, the riot is the language and the voice of the unheard. I believe those things run concurrently, you know, where he didn't ride he didn't go burn the building down, but something, something drove him and said, I do not have power to defend myself in certain capacities. So, you know, it came. I don't even see that as an intent, and I, I love the temperament, like you said, of his character because he was calm. And I even wrote down. You know, I think the military thing even is, is relevant here because he almost conducted himself as a trained soldier. You know, look how that kind of came around, even when he was doing his business, trying to produce justice for his son, and um, you know that fight or flight. You know, where sometimes we're not even sometimes when power is completely stripped from you and you know this country in so many capacities has stripped black women i mean down to the bare bones of nothing when it comes to power even black men you know we're stripped down to nothing in the presence of police officers having to get down to put our hands up and do this and do that um but it's that subjugation and it's not an intent that you know black people we don't wake up with that premeditated uh psycho kind of you know uh psychotic we're going to go out and we're going to you know we're going to bring harm to people we're going to be rebellious and all those kind of things um but we have
1: rebellion are two different things and i and i you all forgive me because i'm not giving credence to whoever's quote this is but i've heard it said that um well-behaved women rarely ever make history. And I cannot recall for the life of me whose quote that is, so forgive me, I normally do not um, take credit for other people's work. I'm not taking credit. I just can't give credit to the um, owner of that one. But when, but causing harm and being rebellious, I don't mesh those into the same thing. Because, yeah, you would think, well, they took these police, um, and again, not going to get into the fullness, because this is where the juiciness of the movie is, and I want you all to watch it if you haven't seen it, but yeah, he rebelled against a system where he knew he couldn't get justice. And is that the solution? No. Yes, maybe. But it's the position that he got put into because as a father, that was his son. And he wanted, and he makes a statement when they take over the um, the precinct where it's like, well, I'm the only one who can speak for my son. Like no one else spoke for my son in this situation. Um, Again, you all, we could talk on and on about this. Um, Mikhail, can we talk slightly a little bit about the one of the, one of Nate Parker's boys who goes in, so military style guns, ready to just do whatever, which meant laying down his life. And I'm just a believer that there is no greater love than you can show them to lay down your life for those whom you love. I'm a believer of that, and so his boys were willing to do that. But this one particular friend had cancer, and I found it interesting that they brought that element in because I know you guys are like cancer. What does that have to do with anything? Well. I would think that, too, as a watcher of the movie, like, why did that element get brought in? Why did they highlight that this friend had cancer? Was it to say, hey, he had cancer, but he was really still willing to do whatever? I watched it, and this is my interpretation of it, or at least the feeling I got, with all the brutality and the injustice justice system and all the pressures and the fight or flight we're still dealing with what everybody else is dealing with, things like cancer and any other disease and diagnoses. And then it gets compounded. And Macau, do not let me misuse your word. Remember when everything is flying at us and we educated them on this word, and I can't think of it right now. Um, There was a word you used on a previous podcast where you were saying like everything is, you know the word that I'm talking about and everything is coming at us at once. Oh man, one of our listeners like, oh, I know that word. I know. (laughs) Malayes. Malaise. Thank you. Yes. Yes. That's what I thought about. I thought about our conversation we had about being malaise and how they had all that going on. And he's trying to be with his boy and he's and all the injustice. And am I willing to go like rough this up? Oh, and by the way, I'm also dealing with chemotherapy and cancer because we don't get to not be dealing with chemotherapy and cancer. We're dealing with all of that. Plus this, it was like the Perfect example of malaise,
0: and I think the angle that I even looked at it, and for those of you all who have seen it, um, that, that character is played by Omari Hardwick. That that character is played by Amari Hardwick, and but um, I wrote down the word priority when I saw his character at a certain time. Man, can you imagine? You know, there's cancer running through your body, but Something else is so pressing that you can tell that cancer. And this is, I think it was powerful. His whole character was powerful. His whole character was just nothing but powerful to me because, you know, he figuratively really spoke to the cancer and Mm -hmm. said, I ain't got time for this right now. Yeah. We have justice to produce and justice is more important than my life right now. And I profound job profound job done by uh, the characters, the casting, um, their willingness to add something that has been plaguing our community currently. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cancer is something that is creeping up in our bones and in our prostate, in our breasts, in our cervix, in all these areas, uh, you know, and at our age where, you know.
1: I'm sorry. I was going to say, and do not think that these sorts of societal stressors are not adding to that manifesting into the body do not for a moment um think like oh well, where did that come from oh we all got cancer cells in our body okay sure but these um, thank you for educating us my these malaise can is can I put idiom in the malaise situation
0: if we go on to the day absolutely okay
1: well Y'all don't come for me. That's not a word. Y'all know I will go look this up later and never use it again. But um, it is compounding our experience, and that's what I gathered from that. Um, I'm a close. We I want to close off the show answering this question, and I'd like to get your answer, and I'll give an answer as well. What if anything brings healing to the father?
0: Whew. You know, y'all. I'm not going to come on here. I slurred my words. I was going to say something else, but I, I've got to come straight out. Producing justice. And as a father, because I am a father, I could be Nate Parker. And I think that's the unique thing about that. To be a black father, I have a teenage son who's <laughs> practically the same age. And very as his,
1: educated. Mm-hmm.
0: Same thing. Very articulate. Can tell you what he's thinking. Can look up his rights and all those kind of things. Um, but, man, to bring peace For me, I know that this fight has gone on for so long that I may not, I'm not even trying to sound like Dr. King, but it's the truth. I'm not going to make it to the mountaintop. I'm just not going to make it to the mountaintop in the years that I have left in this physical realm. Now, you know what the creator has for me once I transition and, you know, I can go anywhere I want to. That's going to be a whole different ballgame. You know, we're going to be in a whole different level of spiritual warfare. But anyway, um, but I believe that. The work of a father in that situation is to dedicate his life to, again, because we were just talking about prioritizing things in the Black community. Sometimes we don't feel like it. Sometimes we have cancer. You know what I mean? Like it was evident in the movie. But I don't believe peace is going to come in the form of legislation or a certain officer being arrested. And now we can dust off our hands. Whew. That got taken care of by the justice system. Let's go home. But you know, until this is systemically dismantled in the same capacity that it was uh, systemically constructed, um, but that is the work, I believe, of a father um, to exist in some sort of peace. And the peace will come, Akima, for me, knowing that I stuck a seed in the ground. That I did something that somebody can can pick up, something that's going to sprout up that a future generation um, can pick up, and because that's why I love the component of the young people being there. Were so many young people in the movie who had so much to contribute. Um, if I, as a father, can initiate that conversation and initiate some kind of action plan so that we can produce justice on this planet, that would give me some level of peace so to speak
1: thank you so much for that Mikhail. and i i believe my answer to that is yours is similar to yours but it's going to be much shorter and i think death is what um brings peace um you all will see what i mean when you watch the movie i think they did such a good job death is what brought peace and similar to what Mikhail just said you know in terms of planting a seed if you all don't know seeds are that are planted they die In order to produce, and so what? what, What's going to bring peace is death. Even as McConnell talks about transitions and the things that are dealt with beyond this, um, you know, this flesh and blood, and in the realm that we're in right now. So I'm going to close it off here. Um, Go watch the movie if you haven't watched it, and then come back and listen to this podcast again. I think it'll mean much more to you. After y'all who haven't watched it, Mikhail and I on our respective uh, social media get at us. We would love to um, We love to talk and chop it up about this uh, American skin. It was it was heavy and it was good. Um, but for Mikhail and myself, thank you guys so much for listening to HBCU. You know, here we are trying to um, reach our highest potential. And as always, um, we'll catch you next time. Peace and love. At Babel, Nine Lives Inside of Me. I did this song here to invoke you all to see that he is a God of culture. The same God that made this variety. At Babel, Nine Lives Inside of Me.